Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another BitFlix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today's guest is writer, producer, and star of Prizefighter, The Life of Jem Belcher, Matt, Matt Hookins. Welcome to the show. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me. Now, before we start, we should just probably let people know, where can they see your film? film is out now on Amazon Prime. Um, should be still sort of top of the radar or on the exclusive list. Um, you know, don't have to look too far for it so yeah it's available on amazon in the uk and the us and it's having a theatrical release in in different countries elsewhere um in the, over the next couple of months so it's uh getting about which is good as a person with three hats on for this film i'm going to start with with the writing one i'm a writer myself so it's kind of this is this is where my biggest interest lies um what for you was was the kernel of the idea to do this biopic um, that led, you know, that led to this film that people can see today. Where did it start for you as a writer? I was actually on a, I was doing um, stunt work on a Russell Crowe film about 10, 11 years ago. Okay. Uh, and this gentleman, all the gentlemen came up to me and, and basically thought I was my dad, who, who was a British heavyweight champion. My dad was um, a boxer called David Bomber Pierce. Mm-hmm. And he was a British champion in the 80s. And anyone that was a fan of boxing or alive during the 80s probably knew who my dad was. He had a very textured life. Um, you know, he, he, he was dubbed, um, you know, the Welsh Rocky himself. So he had a really interesting um, journey. He's not alive. He passed away when I was 11. Hmm. So for this guy, seeing me looking the spitting image of, wow. my, yeah, that's amazing. of my dad was a bit of a shock. Um, and when I say the spitting image, I mean, we, you know, we look you know, just crazy. I mean, I, I know people can't see this on video, but that's that's me at the top and that's my dad at the bottom in 19. Good Lord. Yeah, yeah it's, un- it's for the listener's benefit, the, the likeness is uncanny. Yeah, it's crazy. And I, I never sort of clicked on until later on how, how much we actually look like. So I, he was telling me about my dad and, you know, had a, you know, he was essentially a fan of my dad's. Mm. And he was telling me about this article he was reading uh, about my dad in this trade magazine. And next to the article, my dad was this slide on Jem Belcher. Oh, right. So that's where it was born. And that's where the, sort of the, the, <laughs> the rabbit hole. Um, and for, for a story like that, where it's, where it's about where it's somebody's life story, and just for, you know, for the writer listening, who might be thinking of something that's in the public domain. Is there, 
Is there intellectual property you have to gain to do something like this? Or did you base it on a memoir in the first place? Or, or did you just take from public domain and then and build your own story? There, there was nothing, there was nothing really, there was, there was hardly anything really written okay. specifically on Jem. Hmm. So he was just, un, he was just, you know, this unknown, forgotten hero of the time, you know, he, and yet he had this, you know, he had this such textured life. He was youngest ever champion at 19, hmm. blind at 20 and dead by the time he was 30. So that was like my pitch for the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, he's he died 221 years ago, something, you know, something crazy. So there wasn't much out there. So that was a good thing for a writer in a sense. It allowed me to um, have, have more creative freedom, mm-hmm. bringing things that I didn't know or, or someone else didn't know. And also I wanted, you know, I wanted it to be, I wanted to kind of highlight the success and the celebrity and the fame that he should have been. Because like I said, not many people know anything about him. Yeah, and no, yet, it was a new name to me when the film came along. Yeah. And yet I, I read one thing that he wrote, this treaty on boxing, and it just blew my mind. You know, he, he described the scientific approach to the sport. He described using your brain and your, you know, your skill set and your technique rather than brute strength. And, you know, for someone 220 years ago from a poor, poor background, it was a very uh, intellectual read. It had that kind of Muhammad Ali-esque um, personality about him in the way that, you know, he, he spoke differently. He was way ahead of his time. So I was just fascinated by, by his story. I, I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to be really true to certain things that happened in his life. Mm-hmm. But I also wanted to really highlight the impact that he had on the sport. So. In a way, some people will say, you know, oh, it, it, I, I think I think it's quite good that there wasn't that much information on him because it allowed me to have more creative freedom mm-hmm. and bring things in that you know I thought or I believed or you know certain things that we couldn't prove happened or didn't know yeah, yeah, yeah. if they did or didn't happen. So you know, I, I just did you know with the writing side, <laughs> I don't recommend anyone doing this, but I did I did two two years of research. I watched 160 boxing films from 1927 till now. And I just wanted to get my head around like everything that had been documented on, on boxing or even, even other films related, related to the story of, you know, Amadeus was a huge, um, huge influence. Um, so it just, you know, it took me forever to write it. I, I didn't come from a writing background. Mm-hmm. I'd written a couple of shorts and, you know, made some stuff with my company, but I, this was, you know, this was another sort of um, journey that, just if it's not something you sort of naturally did then so what what became for you with that kind of free running then if there wasn't a, a, an obvious story to tell and you begun to mm. weave a story around obviously some key facts of the story what for you became the main storytelling challenges well this is um you know just adding on to the, this bonkers story it, <laughs> it is where it became an inter- more interesting in a weird way so and it links to me eventually playing the lead mm. so i I started finding different bits of information about Jem that I didn't really want to play the lead at the time. I just, I just wanted to, I, just, I was fascinated by the story and I thought this is a really good pitch story. Mm-hmm. Youngest ever champion, blind at 22, dead by the time he's 30. And he's, he's around, he was alive during a time that had social, economical change. There was a war going on. There was, there was, there was things changing in the world. Yeah. The industrial, um, the industrial revolution, revolution was just kicking yeah. off on it. Exactly. So all that really interested me and the period drama aspect of it, and the birth of boxing, the mm. birth of the sport. So my pitch was, there's never been a boxing film set this far back, which yeah, there yeah. hasn't, and there's never been one that explored the birth of the sport. So that was like 
my driving force. And then all, and then a couple of weird things started to happen. I started figuring out that he was a very similar height, similar weight, and similar size to me, which um, was like, okay, that's one thing. And then as I a couple of weeks later, I found out that you know I was focusing on this fight that he had with a guy called Henry Pierce, and Henry Pierce was originally from Bristol. And you know, it's dubbed today as the forgotten fight of the century. Mm-hmm. Henry Pierce's last name is the same last name as of my dad. Of course, dad's. yeah. No, I, when, the minute you said it, I was thinking, yeah. my word, is that the other connection? And Bristol to Newport is is you know, fifteen minute drive away. So that was the second thing, and then it gets weirder. Then I find out his mum, his mum uh, couldn't find anything on his mum at all, other than his mum's name was Mary and my mum's name was Mary. Um, and then the third thing, which I kind of triggered, I go, right, I have to, the thing that really hit me that when I, when I thought I have to tell this story and I have to play the lead, um, play the part, was he died on my birthday. So he died on the 30th of July, which was just recently. And I just thought that's a bit of a, that's too much, too many weird coincidences yeah. that, you know, could have fallen into place. So, you know, I went straight into training as a boxer and I started training as a boxer for four or five years. <laughs> um, and just led them this rabbit hole of, of drafts. I mean, you know, for writers listening, I, again, I, I just, I, it's, it's hard to um, advise the amount of work that I put in, but I, I, I stopped counting, and I mean this completely honestly, you know, after about 300 drafts. So this, this script went through. So in that sense, and when you were doing those repeated drafts, then what, what became the storytelling challenges for the film for you? What, what, was, what, was, having, what was making you having to do all those drafts? What, what was so well, challenging? Well, one of the big challenges was there's so much, there were so many good characters, there's so much history, there's so much, the, even the way that people lived at the time. Mm. There were so many side stories that you could have gone off in. Mm. And I really wanted to focus and keep it focused on Jem and tie in a family, family story and make it really about his DNA and, and everything that he does and what happens to him and his rise and fall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there was, there was loads of other interesting, there was loads of female fighters at the time. There was, Tom Molyneux, Tom Cribb, there's all these famous um, boxers who people do know about, Danny Mendoza. And it was the, 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 the key challenge was keeping the focus on Jem and his mm. story because it could have very easily gone into another direction. And, you know, maybe that opens itself up a TV series or, or a prequel or a sequel. But that was like the main thing of, of keeping him focused. And, you know, every time you send the, send the draft out, someone picks up on something else and someone picks up on something that's really good and you want to change. And it just kept changing and evolving and evolving. Um, and like I said, I probably did. I, I mean, you know, 300 is being, being conservative. I, I did so many drafts of this basically. Yeah, no, amazing. That's an amazing journey. Uh, um, and I wanted to make sure the script was ready. So when you're, you know, I'm rel- I was relatively an unknown actor. So if I am pitching a, a relatively, you know, tasty ambitious project i needed someone like your russell crowe or your way winston to pick up that script and go this script is really good we have to do this we don't really care who's behind it mm-hmm. this the, the material was so good so i had to make the material so good that whoever read it would just go no and i think that's it. an important message for writers out there really is that you know there's only going to be like a, i guess the one shot at that and if and if you if you want them to be interested you better put you better give them the best effort you can aren't you yeah yeah, and even uh, uh, my one advice, and I've been to this and I've made the mistakes. Even if you think it's the version, don't send that version. <laughs> send the next version because you just you know anything can pull anyone off. You don't know, you know, even just spelling mistakes and different things. You know, it's it's um, 
it's it's really difficult to get right and uh, and it, it was incredibly difficult it was one of the you know one of the hardest things that I, that I went through but you know it made me made me learn how to write and, and you know I, I consider myself quite a good writer now, so it's it's something that I you know another sort of um, aspect that I learned to um, you know, bring to the mix, which I really enjoyed doing. That. Brilliant. Well, look, you've already you've already hinted at this for those that don't know the film. It also stars. Um, I mean, look at the look at the poster on IMDb. You've got yourself sandwiched between Russell Crowe and Ray Winston, which is you know not bad billing to be on, is it? So if I if I flip if I flip you to your producer's point of view, how how do you get Russell Crowe and Ray Winston into this movie? How does that how did that process go for you? I mean, you've just, you've explained getting the script to a point that you thought it's going to attract their attention, but obviously. It's not as easy as just simply we like this. Let's be in it. You know, you got to get yeah. them to read it first. Well, I, I I came from a stunt background and I built up a bunch of contacts over the years working with some incredible people. Hmm. And one of those key contacts was a, was a um, stunt coordinator called Steve Dent. Yeah. And you know, he's a very good friend and a ton of stuff. And anyone in the industry will probably know Steve Dent and his work. So I knew Steve had access to. To, to certain talent and you know I just took the script to him and said Steve this is ready Steve had already helped me make the, the short film we made a short film version in 2016 okay and we shot it on Steve's farm and I just said to him I took it to him I think the first lockdown and I said it's ready and he read it and he said yeah it's it's good to go I'm going to send it straight to Ray I had a very 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 uh, quick conversation with Ray um, not quick as in the length, but you know we spoke almost within days, and he sent it to Russell's, uh, sent it straight to Russell's manager as well, and then I took over the communication from there. So Ray, Ray was um, Ray was a slightly easier pull because you know it was asking Ray Winston to play the lead in a, in a comfortable role about boxing, which he's a massive fan of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he knew my dad. The first thing Ray said to me was, "I knew dad, kid," and you know well enough to have gone to the fights with him and, and later told him some, some other things. Um, so he knew my dad and that was a, you know, a relatively um, straightforward pull um, in that sense. And then Russell's team was, that was harder. That was a year of negotiation back and forth. Okay. Um, you know, they said no twice, three times, sorry. And I just kept... I just didn't, I just didn't stop. I just didn't stop. I just didn't have it in my mind that he was going to say, you know, he was not going to do this. He was perfect for the role. There was no one really, you know, there's no one else really that exists with the same gravitas that he has to play a very, you know, you know, brutal, old and drunken box. I mean, people are throwing names like Tom Hardy and Hugh Jackman, but they just don't have that. They didn't have that same caliber mm. of what was required for the character. Yeah, and I guess I guess coming off the back of, uh, I mean, from um, in my lineage of watching films, it's like coming off the back of him being in Kelly Gang as well. You've kind of already seen him in this period very recently as well. Yeah, that 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 was, um, and I really enjoyed him in Kelly Gang actually, and I think it's uh, it was an underrated film. But yeah, that's exactly it. You know, he'd already played that character. He's already moving into that world, which which fitted very well for what we were doing. So it was a lot of back and forth, and it was a lot of moving parts with Russell and his team, and traveling and locations and this and COVID and you know him going through some some personal stuff as well. So it was, um, yeah, it wasn't easy. <laughs> it wasn't easy. Well, no, well, congratulations. Like but you, you then, you, you, by your own admission, you say you're relatively unknown, unknown actor. And in this film, having watched it, you're playing at close quarters with both those heavyweights of acting. So how? How did you prepare yourself for those 
those moments because there's a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, it's weird because you know, I've been doing this for sort of 10, 12 years, and I've, I've you know I've been blessed enough to work with everyone. I've, I've worked you know with some really really amazing people. I've worked with Angelina Jolie. I've worked closely with Michael Caine. Uh, Tom Cruise. I've, I've been, I've been, in, I've been in those circles for for a long time, but they were in a very small, specific way. Mm. So the change for this was, um, you know, being the lead role in a film with with Ray and, and Russell and other amazing cast: Mark Martin Osak and Julian Glover and Stephen Burkhoff and Jodie May. And you know, the list kind of goes on. We've got a really stellar cast in this film. But I just, you know, what I just, I prepared. I, it sounds. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Sounds like the easy answer. I was I prepared so well for the role. I knew the characters inside out, not mm. just mine. I knew theirs because I'd, I'd written it. Of course. I, was, I'd, I'd, I'd trained as a boxer before five years, so I was really comfortable with the movement of boxing. And, you know, maybe, maybe not St. Corny, but maybe I was just, you know, maybe I was just kind of born to do it. There was no, there was no, um, for me, when I'm put in those situations, you know, you, you've got to do, you know, you've got to ever go to that level that they're at mm. and, and work with them and, and be seen as an equal. Or you kind of get scared and, and, and mess it up. Um, so I just had to again. I just prepared myself, and, and it, you know, just probably one of your other questions is going to be how did you how did you play? You know, how did you manage to keep the, the the financing together and play the lead role? And, and, and the, the simple answer is what I just said. I I'm, I just I had all the information. Mm. I couldn't go at this like Sylvester Sloan went this with Rocky, where it was just like I'm playing the lead and that's it, and nothing else is happening. I couldn't do that with this. I had to be the sole person that had the most information about the characters, about the movement, about even just hiring like crew and stuff. You know, a lot of my friends and people I've worked with before I'd hired. So I just I put every bit of information in this film in my head, which meant that I couldn't be replaced. And one of the financiers made it made a joke just before we started filming, saying like, like we couldn't replace you even if we wanted to. It doesn't matter if someone famous stepped in. We couldn't replace you because you have too much information and you have too many people that have committed to this film for you. What do you think what um, do you think that you what do you think you learned as an actor 
playing opposite because I mean you are they're not just in your film you're playing opposite them you're 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 acting in key scenes with these people and obviously yeah. for for a lengthy part of the film you're, you're side by side with Ray Winston so what do you think I mean there's there's one thing to raise your game and that but obviously over the duration of the mm. film what do you think you as a as an actor benefited from where do you think where do you think you kicked on from that experience I, I, I benefited so much because I was working around you know just incredibly talented people just you know Ray was just like going to school every day with your best mates it was just comfortable we just laugh we were in the, in the dinner most nights and it was just fun you know we just had a little we had a nice little bond that and he you know because because of the amount of work I think people could see I was putting in you know they began to build a trust after a couple of days of filming where people could see God, Matt, is, Matt is putting in the work you know, he's really given it everything. So um, there was a nice trust build, trust building in that sense. Everyone was different in a weird way. You know, working with Stephen Burkhoff was, was incredible because I just I just sat there and watched this guy perform and just, you know, he was just so incredibly, um, you know, just, just the gravitas of him just stepping into the room and performing was incredible. And, you know, Julian Glover and, and Martin would just light up every scene. So again, you just, you, you had, had something to play off every character. Um, Russell's, you know, Russell's stillness and the way he just, his presence in a scene was so strong. So for me, I, I learned, I learned so many life lessons, not just acting lessons, like being around these people. I learned so many life lessons, which I'll, I'll take with me, you know, forever. But I think it was, again, I was just, I was, I was very prepared. I knew the character inside out and, you know, I was either working with friends or people I really wanted to work with who were right for the role so it kind of just fitted and I think that's the best thing to do you know so many people want to just work with someone for, for many reasons or this or that or, you know play to whatever it may be I think you've got you know if you work with the right people in the right project it's like a team right it's like a, a sports team and it's fairly intense on a film set isn't it so you don't really want it to be any of it to be arduous unnecessarily no of course and you know there's, there's always going to be moments where someone wants to do something and you know whether it's right or wrong it's it's tricky, but I think um, I don't know. I was I was so the, the stunt work taught me to be so tuned with being on set. Yeah, I, I was so you know you know I, I did I did I've, I've had so much experience being on set and around set and what works and how to be professional. So it was just um, those experiences came back to me and that knowledge um and you know before that i used to be a background dancer. i used to be an extra which mm. i you know h- highly recommend as well because you get to just see and learn so many things i've done plenty of it myself yeah i mean you know people say yeah i'm just not afraid to kind of admit how, how much of a good experience that was because you get to see and watch everything um, and learn so much you know absolutely absolutely now daniel graham's your director um was that was that your choice as the producer, or was that was that somebody brought into the project for you? No, it was my choice, um, and I had worked with Daniel before on a film in Malta called The Grand Duke of Corsica with Timothy Spall and Peter Stormer. And Daniel Daniel was a a friend who, you know, he was one of those people that I was sending the script to along the way. He was a very good writer, Daniel, and we'd already we'd already done a film together. We'd already gone through that experience. So I produced the Grand Duke of Corsica and I also played a, a, I played a character in it that was basically the third, you know, the third supporting or the third lead. It was Tim Spall, Peter Stormer, 
and then myself. So it was a, it was a, a kind of strategic, smart move in the sense because I needed if any if anything ever happened where someone said, "Oh wait there, why don't we replace Matt with you know Miles Teller or someone that is you know stupidly famous or whatever?" I needed I needed someone like Daniel who could say, "Well wait there, no, I've worked with Matt as a producer and as an actor, mm. and I can vouch for him," um, which which he did, you know, and and we'd already gone through. This this project was so personal and so meaningful, and you know we 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 really didn't have the time for someone new or someone to come in and and um, and you know not not fit or gel very quickly. So me and Daniel, we already had that relationship, which which yeah. You know, now now fil- well. film film is a um, is considered to be a director's medium, unlike TV, which is more of a writer's medium. So in in what sense, what did, what did Daniel bring to the script that really, that sort of really took it on for you, you know, li- took it up that level, you know, you've, you've lived with it, you've, you've done your 300 yeah. plus drafts, you've got your casting in place and now Daniel's developing it to a script or you're shooting it or whatever. How, what, what were the elements for you that really sort of then went up to where you couldn't, where you were surprised at where it went, so to speak? Well, he, you know, he, he, he was able to work then very closely with each cast. So mm-hmm. that was the first thing, you know. I had to focus on my own character. He was able to work closely with Ray and Jody and the family and, and different things. So that was that was number one. He's a very, um, you know, he's good with people. So he he you know he's an he's an actors driven director okay. in that sense. So he was good with people, and also he he protected me in many ways because you know there was times where it got really just difficult and tricky and the financing and all these all these producing things that were just causing problems. And he was there, you know, for support and, and help in that sense, um, just to protect me because I didn't have anyone to protect me in that sense. Mm-hmm. And really, you know, when I started acting, I should have just, I should have just been the actor. And there's all these other things coming up all the time. Um, but you know, he he he'd worked with high level cast before. You know, he's done three films. His last film was with Tim Spall and Peter Stormare, and his first film was with, with Opus uh, was uh, was with William Defoe. Mm-hmm. So. I needed someone that cast were able to trust, and also we worked with the same DOP, which then bringing them two together allowed them to elevate it further in terms of the shots and the angles and different stuff, and, and you know, choosing different things in that sense. And obviously, we had Steve Dent and myself, and a really great fight coordinator called Billy um, Billy Clements, who were able to focus on the action. So it was just separating each each area and letting them focus on you know, where their skills attributed to, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, attributed to um, best. And, you know, I, yeah, he just, you know, I was very aware that there was no way I could make every, every decision and having someone with fresh eyes being able to look at it was, um, was a nice, a nice thing to have because otherwise you get too close to it and too far down. Indeed. <laughs> well, look, give it, give it, it's a boxing film for anyone who's not seen it. Won't be surprised to learn. It's quite a physical film, and uh, in terms of what you have to go through as a character and all the characters yeah. in it, um, what do you what I mean? And it looks it looks very real. And like you say, you 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 spent five months preparing, to, you know, five years, sorry, training yourself up to be to be able to behave like a boxer. Um, what once it came to the shoot, what do you remember being the most challenging scene or sequence to uh, to pull off in front of cameras? Uh, that's a good question. I did you catch that fish? That's a bit of a spoiler for people, but did you catch that fish with your bare hands? <laughs> I did, yeah. 
fish wasn't real. So it's okay. <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah, it was, it was a, it was a, it was a fake. Go on, sorry, I interrupt. It's just a good bit of acting. That I was quite, I was quite, no, I was quite impressed because it, you know, I somehow made it real. It wasn't real fish. So, uh, <laughs> spoiler, spoiler alert. I, do you know what? I, I don't know. I think I know what, I definitely know the, the, the areas that I felt very comfortable in. And there was two moments in the film where I thought, do you know what? I'm, I, I'm kind of born and meant to do this because I just felt so confident in that mm. particular aspect of the role. The end fight was very brutal and it was very real. And, you know, it's to me, it's 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 one of the best sort of boxing scenes and fights you're going to see in films. Just because it was real, I had a real, a real, real boxing fight with an ex-boxer. So, and you know, he had his ribs were bruised and we, you know, tenderized on my arm. I slipped my eyelid. There's loads of things that happened that were real in this film, um, mm. and we just wanted to give it give it the. Uh, you know the, the authenticity and realness that it deserves, especially you know dubbing it a film about the birth of boxing. So yeah, I I mean look, there was there was I think actually I do I do know a very child I do remember a very child you know Daniel and uh, Martin Kosak, who's just this unbelievable actor, just lights up the scene. Um, he's been in so many so many things. Martin is incredible. I remember walking up to set one day and I had this page of dialogue that we had specific for this scene. And um, yeah, for some reason, Daniel and, and, and Martin had tweaked and changed it a night before or, the, or, or two nights before, and it didn't get sent to me. So I turned up on set with a completely new, different scene that um, I had to kind of learn very quickly, yeah. um, which, you know, was, it was, was a bit challenging. But then the physical side was also very challenging, the moves and getting hurt, you know, just got bad throughout the whole thing. Um, that's, that's, that's what I'm getting at really I mean you can you get the sense of it it's a very gritty sort of visceral film so I just wondered how much of that and what toll did that take on you yeah I, you know I'm, I'm quite a strong minded tough individual but you know I ended up in, I ended up in I was, ended up in hospital I had anxiety I had panic attacks I went through so many things my, my ribs were like I said my ribs are bruised I've got tenderized on my elbow my nose you know broke one of the scenes, I had this really specific contact lens, which we were doing a fight scene in Lithuania, and I got hit to the floor, and it split the contact lens, oh. which 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 basically affected my eye, and I was going to get that checked. So yeah, I went through, I went through everything. I mean, you know, just just and you know, no sleep, and just and just and then and then you know, filming twelve to fifteen hours a day, getting home, checking emails on the producing side. Then also, you know, rewriting stuff and adapting stuff, and you know, moving from Wales to England to Lithuania to Malta. Just it just, you know, it, it really did, um, really did, you know, destroy me in many ways. And it, it wasn't, um, it wasn't always the best experience because there was just so many challenges and so many problems you just had to had to, um, you know, overcome. And, and well, look, face. let's let's end this on, let's end this on a bright note then. Um, final <laughs> question would be. What's 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 a ha- what's what should maybe one of your happiest memories from the shoot that you want that you that you want to recount for us? I think it you know it, it clicked onto me what after it clicked onto me a period afterwards what I kind of achieved and I think the achievement of getting a film off the ground with that kind of cast and caliber and writing it and being so heavily involved is just it's just unheard of today. You know, it just it doesn't exist. And even if you compare it to Films that have done that in the past, you know, there's basically Rocky or Goodwill Hunting. So I, I, I feel I feel more proud of myself in terms of what, you know, the achievement of getting off the ground. The filming was incredible. I really enjoyed, you know, working with the cast and 
like I said, we, me and Ray had some really, really funny, funny moments, just you know, really laughing to ourselves about situations and having a good old talk. Um, you know, working with Russell Crowe was just incredible. I, I love the film inside of it, and I love the fight sequence. I, I really enjoyed the end fight sequence because it was full of people, and me and Ricky were just giving it our all. And you know, both of our dads had passed away, and we had this really nice heartfelt moment. It just felt amazing. So the filming was just, you know. It was just the, the film inside was incredible, although it was challenging in the background and everything going on. You know, working with these people and being able to to make this film was, um, you know, it was just it was just I still can't process it. It's a bit uh, it's a bit jaded because I still can't. Um, I'm still doing all these things and talking about the film, so it's uh, it's still very fresh in my mind, even though we, we finished in um, we finished filming in November. So, you know, the whole experience has taught me so much. You know, not just in the creative side of the acting or performing, but mm. life lessons as well. I'll, you know, take that, take that with me till the end. That was, uh, you know, just an incredible experience in that sense. Well, look, uh, thank you very much for giving us your time on the Britflitch podcast. Prize Fighter: The Life of Jim Betcher is available now on Prime Video. So, yeah, just gives me to say thank you very much. Thank you so much. It's uh, great talking to you, Stuart. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.